leadership matters, doesn't it? Leadership really matters. I don't know whether you've, uh, you're interested in politics or not, whether you're completely fed up by now uh, with it all, or you're avidly following the election campaigns. But whatever you think of politics, one thing that we can all agree on is that leadership matters. For months and months, people have been asking, what makes a good leader? What makes someone worth following? What makes someone worth voting for? And that's because leadership is important. There are leaders in all areas of life, whether it's sport or music or politics or religion, whatever you do, wherever you go, you'll find leaders. Leadership matters. And that's because everybody follows somebody. Everyone is inspired by, motivated by, driven by someone. It might be someone that you know very well. It might be someone that you've never met. It might be just yourself. It doesn't really matter who you are. We all follow someone. And so I wonder if you've ever asked yourself that question. Who do I follow? Think about it for a minute. Who do I follow? Who, who influences the way that I think and feel? Who has an impact on the things that I say and do? The way that I live? Who do I follow? And more importantly, are they worth following? In our passage this morning, Jesus claims to be a leader worth following. In, in fact, he claims to be the leader worth following, the leader that we should all follow. And so the question that we should have in our minds as we come to John 10 is, why? What sets Jesus apart from the rest? What makes him so special, so unique? Is he really worth following? So just look back with me to John chapter 10, and we're going to spend some time thinking about that question. Because at the beginning of our passage, Jesus describes what would have been a very familiar everyday experience for lots of his listeners. Just look at verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter by the sheep pen, the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. It's obvious, isn't it? If you're a shepherd, you enter the sheep pen by the gate. The watchman, the guard, recognizes you, and so he lets you in. Whereas if you're not a shepherd, if you're not there to look after but to steal or hurt the sheep, well then, clearly, you don't go in through the front door. You sneak around the back. You jump over the wall. More than that, in verse 3, Jesus says, if you are the shepherd, the sheep will recognize your voice. They'll hear you and respond to you because they know you. Whereas if you're a stranger coming in, well, the sheep will run away because they don't know you. They don't recognize your voice. So far, so good. It, it all seems pretty straightforward. Even to a non-shepherding type like me, and I guess most of us, we, we kind of get the idea, doesn't, don't we? But then strangely, in verse 6, uh, Jesus says that the people listening, the Pharisees, they don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is on about. Of course they understand what he's saying literally about sheep and shepherds, but this isn't just literal lessons for caring for your flock. No, Jesus says in verse 5 he's using a figure of speech. And it's that figure of speech that his listeners don't understand, the Pharisees don't get. 
You see, what Jesus is saying here comes right after his confrontation with these religious leaders back in chapter 9. If you were here last week, you remember that in chapter 9, Jesus miraculously healed a man born blind. And the blind man didn't just receive physical sight from Jesus, he also received spiritual sight. Through his miraculous healing, this man came to see that Jesus is God himself, God on earth. And so he worshipped him as God. He followed him. However, not everyone there was convinced. The religious leaders who were meant to lead the Jews in worship of God and were supposedly waiting for the Messiah to come, those leaders, well, they did the complete opposite to the blind man. They rejected Jesus and they abused, they hurt anyone who chose to follow him. And so Jesus' verdict at the end of chapter 9 was that the religious leaders are blind, blind to who he is. And as a result, they stand guilty before God. That was his verdict on the Pharisees. And that brings us to chapter 10, where he continues to talk to them about this picture, this image of sheep, shepherds, and thieves. And the thing we're meant to see as the readers of John's gospel, the thing the Pharisees couldn't see, was that this is a picture to show who the true leader of God's people really is. It's a picture to show why Jesus and not the Pharisees is the leader worth following. Jesus uses this picture of sheep and shepherds to show that we should follow him because firstly, he is the one who gives us life. He's the one who gives us life. Just look at verse seven with me. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In the sheep pen, the only way for the sheep to come in and find safety at night time, and the only way for them to go out and find pasture during the day, was through the gate. And here Jesus says, I am the gate. In other words, I am the way to safety. I'm the way to satisfaction and security. Anyone, he says, who enters through me will be saved. You see, sin is like a wall that separates us from God. Right from the very beginning, the Bible is clear that God is our creator. He's the one who gives us life and breath and every good thing we enjoy. Without God, we have nothing. Without God, we are nothing. And so the only right response to that, the only response that makes any sort of sense is to live our lives in thanks and praise to the one who gives us everything to God, to obey him and worship him as the God that he is. But that's not what we do, is it? Each of us reject God. We rebel against him and decide to live our lives our own way. The Bible calls that sin and says that sin cuts us off from God. It's like a wall that we build up between ourselves and him. A wall that we build and that we can do nothing about 
But in his mercy, God provides a way through that wall, a gate, a gateway back to God. And here Jesus is simply saying, I am that gate. I am the gateway to a right relationship with God. The God who knows you, made you, and loves you. If we trust in Jesus, if we come to him, then despite our sin, we can have access to God. We can live life knowing him and being known by him. And it's that life, the life of knowing God, that Jesus says in verse 10, is life in all its fullness. True life. It's the life that we all long for. Just think about it for a minute. Why is it that we always want more and more stuff, even though we clearly have enough? Why is it that we look at a wardrobe full of clothes and decide that we have nothing to wear? Why do we feel like we constantly need to upgrade our phone or our car or our house when the one that we have works just fine? Why do we eat far more than we need to? Why do we spend hours in the gym or on Strava? Why do we sit at our desk at work longing for the weekend or the next holiday or career move? Why do we so often envy what other people have rather than appreciate the things right in front of us? Why do we do those things? The Bible says the reason we do them is because we are all searching for life. We're all looking for this life, but the problem is that we are looking in all the wrong places. The comfortable house, the new car, the gym membership, the trip around the world, the fiancé, the promotion at work, they're all great things. None of them are bad things in themselves. But Jesus says none of them can give you life. None of them can give you the, the safety and the satisfaction and the security that comes from being in a right relationship with God. In fact, Jesus says, if you live your life chasing those things, if those are the things that dominate your time and your energy, your money and your decisions, if those are the places that you look for life, well then eventually they'll destroy you. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. Maybe this is the first time you've come along to church and you're you're just beginning to look through these things. And as you look at Christianity, at the same time, you look at the world out there, the world around you. And you think, if I become a Christian, if I sign up to this thing, then, then aren't I just going to be missing out? Life is out there, isn't it? Living life to the full surely can't mean sitting in the King Center every Sunday, can it? Or maybe you are already a Christian here this morning. You've been following Jesus for a while, but increasingly you've been wondering, am I just missing out? Everyone else seems to be having so much fun. Am I I just missing out? You look at your non-Christian friends, the ones who go cycling or play football or go shopping or have a lie-in on Sunday morning, and you think, that's the life. That's what I long for. The ones who can afford a nice holiday or a new car or an extension on their home because they're not giving their money to the church. They're doing it, spending it on nice things. You look at those people and you think, am I just missing something? Have I made the wrong call? 
Can I say, if you find yourself thinking those things, then please hear what Jesus is saying in this passage. He says, the things out there, the things that we enjoy, they are wonderful gifts from a generous God. But they can never bring you life. And the people that tell you otherwise, the people tell you that life can be found apart from Jesus, they're like the thieves. They promise life to you, but they deliver only death. Jesus says, I am the gate. I'm the one you can come to for safety, for satisfaction, for security, for life. Come to me. Trust me. Trust me because I lay down my life for you. That's the second reason Jesus is the one we should follow. He gives his life for us. In verse 11, he uses a different picture for himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. A shepherd just has one job, really, don't they? They are to look after their sheep. It might involve different things, things like leading them to food and drink, guiding them on safe paths, defending them against wild animals or thieves. But really, they have one job. Look after the sheep. And a good shepherd would do that at whatever cost to themselves. That's in contrast to a bad shepherd. A bad shepherd cares nothing for the sheep and so will abandon them at the drop of a hat. As soon as danger comes, they're off. And so here Jesus, again, is simply saying, I am one of the good ones. I'm a good shepherd. In fact, he says, I am the good shepherd. How can he make that claim? What makes him so good? Well, look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus says you can know that he is the good shepherd because he is willing to sacrifice his life for the sake of his sheep. As we thought about at the beginning, we all have shepherds, don't we? We all have people that we follow, whether we like to admit it or not. People who shape who we are, what we do, how we think and feel. Uh, But the thing is, so many of those people that we do follow are like the hired hand in verse 12. You see, verse 12 says that the hired hand is not like the good shepherd. The hired hand doesn't love or care for the sheep. He has no commitment to them. Instead, he uses the sheep for himself. He uses the sheep to get paid, but then as soon as the cost outweighs the reward, well, he's off. He cares nothing for the sheep. And so many of the people that we listen to, so many of the people we follow, are like the hired hand. They are happy to gain followers. They enjoy the popularity and the pedestal. But in reality, they care very little for the people they lead. But here Jesus says, I'm not like that. I'm not like them. I am the good shepherd. I will never abandon you, no matter what the cost. I'll die for you. Why does he say that? Well, as we've already seen, through our sin, we build a wall up between us and God. And the thing about that wall is that it doesn't just cut us off from life with God. It also means we deserve punishment from God. It is, after all, rebellion. It's a blatant refusal to reject, to to listen to the God who made us. 
And so the Bible clearly says we are therefore guilty. Guilty of treason against the king of the universe. And so we deserve his anger. That is the state of every single human being. And it would be a hopeless state were it not for the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. You see, Jesus willingly gives his life in the place of the people he loves. He willingly takes the punishment that we deserve. He dies so that we don't have to. And in doing so, he becomes the gate. He becomes the way back to a relationship with God. And so Jesus' death is both purposeful. He dies so that we can have life. And it's personal. He does it because he loves us. He does it because he loves his sheep. Verse 15, he loves them with the same intimacy, the same passion that he loves his own father. That is how much he loves you. In contrast to the thieves who destroy, in contrast to the hired hand who cares nothing for the sheep, Jesus is the leader we should follow because he gives true life to us. And he gives his life for us. Uh, Maybe you hear all that and you think, that sounds great. What a party manifesto that is. No other leader offers what Jesus is offering. No one says these things. It sounds brilliant, but I'm a bit confused. If Jesus is so great, then, then why doesn't everyone follow him? If he really is this amazing, if he really offers us these things, why isn't the King Center full to bursting every single week? Why doesn't everyone follow Jesus? Well, as we look at the second half of chapter 10, I want us to see two reasons. Two reasons that people don't follow Jesus. And the first is that they want miracles, but not the Messiah. They want miracles, but not the Messiah. In verses 19 and 20, we see that there's still confusion, still disagreement over who Jesus is. Is he a demon-possessed nut job, or is he really from God? Not everyone's convinced by Jesus. And so in verse 24, some Jews come to him and say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And that might sound like a a genuine kind of question, mightn't it? It it would be reasonable to ask, uh, make it clear to us, Jesus. It would be reasonable if you hadn't just read the first 10 chapters of John's gospel. Because Jesus has told them who he is. Time and time again, he has been clear. Uh, Remember back over the term, chapter 2, Jesus throws the traders out of the temple and he says, you're turning my father's house into a market. Uh, Chapter 4, the Samaritan woman says she's waiting for the Messiah. And Jesus says, "Uh, waiting's over, I'm here. Uh, Chapter 5, Jesus says, John the Baptist, Moses, the scriptures, God himself, all testify to me, to who I am. Chapter 6, Jesus says, I'm the living bread who comes down from heaven. Chapter 7, my teaching's not my own, it's from the Father who sent me. Chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. The title given to God alone. And then chapter 9, the blind man sees who Jesus is and worships him as God. And so now you see how ridiculous it is for the Jews to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, could you just be a little clearer? 
Make it plain to us, Jesus. We're not sure what you're talking about. Jesus says in verse 25, I did tell you. I've told you again and again and again. But you do not believe. And then he says in the second half of verse 25, I've not just told you, I've shown you who I am. Water to wine, healing the official son, healing the crippled man, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, healing a blind man. Jesus says, I've told you, I've shown you who I am. The truth was staring them in the face, but they couldn't see it. Oh, they wouldn't see it. And so in verse 30, Jesus makes it plain to them one more time. He says, I and the Father are one. Is that clear enough for you? I'm making it as plain as I can, says Jesus. But that's just not what they want to hear. They don't want to hear it because they want miracles, but they don't want the Messiah. Look at verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Oh, we're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Do you see what they're saying? We love the miracles, Jesus. We're not denying the miracles. We've got no problem with them. Turn all the water to wine that you like. We just don't like what they mean. They refuse to accept that the miracles mean that Jesus is the Messiah. They show that he is God. Our people today do just the same, don't they? Lots of people want miracles, but they don't want Jesus. In other words, they want a God that they can manage, that they can control. A God that's there to sort out the mess when things go wrong, but then leaves them alone when everything's okay. And it's the same for us as Christians as well, isn't it? It's so easy for us to to want to be able to put Jesus in a box, to treat him as the miracle worker we can call on, but not the king we need to follow. It's so easy for us to want Jesus to do things for us, but then to get cross and angry with him when they don't quite work out as we planned. Easy to say to Jesus, Jesus, yes, you can come this far, but... But no further. You can have my Sunday morning, you can have the occasional weekday evening, but but that's it. Hands off the rest. You see, the Jews in chapter 10, they they want the miracles, but they don't want the Messiah. And as such, their, their reactions reveal their heart. Because in the end, Jesus says, if we think like that, if we try to have the miracles, but we reject him, well, then that reveals that we don't really belong to him. It reveals that we're not one of his sheep. And that's the second reason that not everyone believes. They listen to themselves, not the shepherd. Look at verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Why is it that some people believe in Jesus and other people don't? Well, at the end of the day, what makes the difference is whether or not we are one of Jesus' sheep. 
Back in verse 14, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. In the end, people reject Jesus because they're not his sheep. And so they won't listen to him. But if you are one of Jesus' sheep, well then he says, you'll hear his voice. You'll respond to it. You'll hear him speaking to you as the Bible is opened up and you'll follow him. And in following him, you'll know that deep security and joy of belonging to the good shepherds. Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. When you open up the Bible, as we've done this morning, you hear Jesus' voice. And so the big question for us this morning is how will you respond? Perhaps you're still unsure. Perhaps you're in the same category as those Jews in verse 24 who just want Jesus to make it a bit clearer for you. If that's you, then can I encourage you to keep listening? Keep listening to Jesus. The best way that you could do that would be to open up the Bible with someone. Maybe someone who you've come with this morning or chat to me afterwards. We have these little books called Word One to One. Uh, They're simply just going through John's gospel, the gospel we're looking at this morning. And all they involve really is sitting down with a friend and listening to Jesus speak. Maybe you could think about doing that. But maybe you're someone who's been listening to Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've heard Jesus' voice time and time again. But you're still not following him. You're still looking for life somewhere else. If that's you, then I hope you can see that Jesus offers what no one else can. He offers you security and joy and forgiveness and peace. He offers you eternal life in relationship with the God who loves you and the God who will never forsake you. And so he pleads with you to stop finding reasons to reject him, to stop looking for life elsewhere but instead to come to him, to trust him, and to receive the life that he offers you. And if you're already following Jesus this morning, if you know the good shepherd, well, I hope these words have reassured you. I hope you've been reassured that you're not missing out, that in Jesus you have true life, true life that is given to you by his grace and that means true life that you can never lose. I hope you've been reassured and I hope you've been encouraged. Encouraged to keep telling people about Jesus, to keep opening up the Bible with people so they can hear his voice. Be encouraged that when you do that, his sheep will hear him and they will respond, they will follow him as they listen to him speak to them. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that these are not empty words. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus has the authority to lay down his life and the authority to take it up again. And so we thank you that through his death and his resurrection, we know 
that these words are true. These words are life. The life that Jesus offers is the life that we can have as we come to him, the good shepherd. And so we pray that this morning, all the other voices of the world would be drowned out and we would hear Jesus' voice. We would come to him and trust him and follow him, our good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We praise you for him this morning. Amen.